The professional interests and personal priorities of our hosts result in regular child development coupled with educational and brain learning conversations. Join in as Dr. Larry Mercer and Michelle Charles bring their expertise before the microphone as part of an ongoing dialogue between this father and daughter duo on Let's Build Their Brain. It's hard to believe that for almost a year now, we've been sharing episodes on our Let's Build Their Brain podcast. We want you to join us as we take a listen back over some content from previous episodes. We also want to better know and better serve our listeners. So please take a moment to complete the survey that you will find in the show notes to help us get to know you better. It will also allow you to join our mailing list and receive two infographics from recent podcasts. Thank you for being a listener. Listen in as we revisit some serve and return conversations from a previous episode. How does this aid in brain development? What's fascinating is each time a child serves, someone with a gesture or smile and gets returned in the form of an engaging response, a new neuronal pathways is formed. These connections help them build the brain architecture and form the basis for future development. So that serve and return, every, every engagement builds a new neural connection. Wow, sounds important in so many ways and development for the child relationships and appropriate interactions, but also those brain pathways. What might this type of an interaction sound like? Well, it's interesting because there are five steps to brain building, serve and return. The first thing is you notice the serve. If the child is looking or pointing at something, making a sound or facial expression, moving those little arms and legs, that's a serve. So a person has to first of all learn to notice the serve. The key is to pay attention to what the child is focused on. And that means you have to be attentive. That means you have to be willing to take your attention off something else. Because when you notice these serves, you learn a lot about a child's abilities, interests, and needs. And you also encourage them every time you respond to their serve. The second thing is to return by a proper response. How do you return? You can offer children a comfort with a hug, gentle words, help with them, play with them, or acknowledge them. You can make a sound or facial expression like saying, I see, or smiling or nodding. All those things are an appropriate response to a, a serve by a child. You see, when you do that, that you, when you do that, you encourage a child's interest and curiosity. Never returning a serve can be stressful. What you need to understand is if we don't return, a child stops serving. Then the next response is you give it a name. When you return a serve by naming what a child is seeing, doing, or feeling, you make, make important language connections in their brain. Even before a child can talk or understand words, you can name anything, a person, a thing, an action, a feeling, or a combination. If your child points to their feet, you can also point to them and say, yes, that's, those are your feet. They pull in the ear, yes, that's your ear. They point to the nose, yes, that's the nose. Those, you, those are all opportunities to name things and you help a child develop language connections in that process. 
Next step of the process is you watch and wait for a child's response and keep interacting. Every time you return a serve, give the child a chance to respond. Taking turns can be quick. It can go on back and forth for many, many turns. And you let the child decide when to end. So you begin to practice endings and beginnings. Children often signal when they're done. They might let go of a toy, pick up a new one, try to look at something else, or they may walk away. When you find a moment to take the, the child take the lead, you support them in exploring the world and make more server return interactions possible. So server return is an important way to form connections between a child and an adult. Many times children who are not having responsible adults, they don't learn to interact with other people on a healthy basis. Listen in as we revisit our brain disruptors conversation. Well, if I had to kind of narrow in on a couple of those, I'd probably highlight lead and I'd probably talk about tobacco smoke. And the reason I would choose those is those are things that parents can control. Uh, you can control what kind of environment you have your children living in when it comes down to the paint you use. Uh, you can make sure that you limit your child's exposure to tobacco smoke, either from your tobacco smoke or taking them into those kinds of environments. So those would be two I would kind of lean into because those are things we could easily control. Well, I would say be alert. Uh, that phrase would be because I think we can just get, we can get so accustomed to our environment and not be as aware as we need to be of what's happening around us. I would say be alert and be aware of the unseen dangers in the environment that could cause damage to the short-term and long-term development of your child's brain in their entire life. But hopefully, just be alert. Okay. Uh, don't be, uh, be insensitive to the impact those things can have on your child's brain. Join us as we take a look at the impact of stress again. Yeah, one of the reasons children sing the same songs over and over again is they love routine. Mm. And whenever your routine is broken, that has the potential to create a stress response in a child. I, I know the unknown factor. I mean, I guess it, it makes sense. I don't like the unknown or the unfamiliar. The same could be true and is true for children. I mean, oftentimes, usually after a short while, he's often excited and engaged in the experience, even if he might have used that phrase. Now, I have to be honest, occasionally he might feel and might express that that is not his favorite. But what is happening to our guy and other little ones from a brain development perspective when they might say something like, I'm not so sure about that? That could be an indication that they're beginning to feel the impact of stress. And one of the things that happens is that when we as adults and a child's under stress, what happens is the thinking part of the brain shuts down and the feeling part of the brain kicks in. And what happens is it's hard to process it's hard to move forward. What happens from a physiological standpoint is the hypothalamus part of the brain produces this chemical that ultimately produces cortisol and it rushes throughout the body of the child. And all of a sudden the, the, the heart rate increases, the blood sugar increases, all those things are happening. So this child is saying, I'm not sure what's going on right now because my body is feeling different. And that's a sign that they're under stress. Talking about, as you know, a child, they don't have the words 
to be able to communicate. So oftentimes we talk it out if we mature, but they act it out. You can see all kind of nonverbal indications that this child is under stress. And a parent needs to be attentive with that and not to ignore it and, and to attend to that when a child is experiencing that unusual level of stress. Yeah, the realization that they have less life experience than we do, something that's stressing them out is we only know to not stress maybe because of life experience. And obviously we don't want them to disregard all feelings of stress or anxiety or apprehension because if there's a legitimate safety concern, we want them to know how to reevaluate a situation and respond appropriately when there is safety concerns. Well, let me let me let me pause there for a second. You made a very very good point because not all stress is bad. Mm. There's you stress. That's good stress. That's stress that says a, a car is coming. Let me get out of the way. That stress that says an animal that's that's dangerous is coming. Let me get out of the way. That stress that says a, there's, a, there's a, a hot stove. I want to avoid putting my hands on. Let, let me avoid it. But then there's distress, that's stress that creates dis-ease within the body, and stress that begins to immobilize the child, keep them from moving forward. So I think you made a very, very important, good point about helping. All, all stress is not bad. In fact, that's something that's been given by God to us, help us become safe. What can we do is we're co-regulating with them to maximize the experience, even in the midst of stress. What if it's something where there isn't a let's say a legitimate safety kind of concern. It's something where maybe they just need to be pushed to try something new or something uncomfortable. How do we help them do that? At the same time, being mindful of what they are feeling as legitimate stress and concern. Well, part of it is co-regulating. So tell me what you're feeling right now. Are you feeling afraid of that? Well, let's get closer together. Let me walk with you to the situation. What you do is you expose them in such a way that they have safety. And as they get closer to the situation, they see you're relaxed, you're not distressed, and it's not so dangerous after all. So you, 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 you model and you mentor, you teach them. And as you do that, they begin to build confidence. So it's, it's attending to their emotions, not ignoring it, and not giving too much credit for their fear. So helping them understand, helping them distinguish between a phobia and a fear. We hope you enjoy reflecting back on the water play conversation. Turning on the water, water flow. Man, think about when you're thinking about the, how much water measurement. I mean, there's things like uh, mixtures and solutions. There are all kinds of things that water play uh, creates. And if you go into a pool, chlorination. I mean, there are just so many concepts that can be taught in that natural in that natural setting with water. Endless opportunities. I know with little guy, it's daddy gives a bigger bath than me. That's what he enjoys, daddy's bigger baths. Now, I know after that big bath, there will be a little more water splashed in the bathroom, but he definitely enjoys those big bath times. Well, I think about the fact that it helps with motor skills and um, sensory exploration. I mean, in terms of that, whether it's, whether it's a bathtub or whether it's in a pool, whether it's at a sink, all those things create opportunity for hand motor, hand-eye coordination and motor skills and just exploring. So again, I, I, as I thought about this, I was amazed at the opportunities that you can use to teach kids using water. Please follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Stay connected with Let's Build Their Brain via Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Let's Build Their Brain Pod and on Twitter at Build Their Brain. 
thank you for checking back with us each Monday for a new episode. We hope you leave each podcast with practical and applicable suggestions to aid your endeavor of building the brains of the ones you love. Until next time, let's build their brains.